And uh, as we talked about, I, I grew up in the land of the bears, although we paid for the, prayed for the, not prayed, we pulled for the Cardinals. We have probably prayed for them, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, until they left St. Louis, the football team. And then uh, probably more of a Bears fan. But I grew up, the first football guy I really ever heard anything about was Bart Starr. And that's probably why I, I like the Packers. Uh, that and I learned some other things about him and uh, those kind of, uh, you know, things about his own uh, personhood. But uh, the other guy that may be on the other end of the spectrum of um, uh, at least polarizing people was Broadway Joe. Joe Namath. And uh, I can remember, because I love TV, remember what, what kind of aftershave did Joe Namath do commercials for? I know some of you are like, who is Joe Namath? Brute. Brute. Do you remember, do you know the name Farrah Fawcett? He did a um, shaving cream commercial with her. Yeah. Uh, I think um, like Noxzema or something like that. And then also he was known for wearing pantyhose. So he did pantyhose commercials. Um, so you understand why I have this quandary in my heart when I see him now at the age of, I think, 82-ish? No, 80. I think he's born in, I think he's born in 43. So he's pushing 80. That's what it is. He would be pushing 80. Um, he does Medicare commercials now. So how do you go from being kissed by Farrah Fawcett to, here's your medical Part B supplement. Um, but he will always be idolized and remembered because he guaranteed the Jets would win in Super Bowl III. Um, today we pick back up at John 10, the 22nd verse. Jesus isn't making any claims or predictions, but everything we have read up to this point, he is making a guarantee. He guarantees that his believers, those who believe that he is the Christ, they will have eternal life. And that is the Super Bowl guarantee I'd like for you to share today. Verse 22. Then came the Feast of Dedication. Some translations may say Hanukkah. Some may say lights. The Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. It's a connecting uh, hallway or courtyard or covered court walkway that people would gather there to go to worship. The Jews gathered around him, uh, some translators like to say encircled him, in other words like an angry crowd, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. He's drawing upon what he said earlier in this chapter. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. That will be the blasphemous statement that they go after him with. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to throw him, to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. 
Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what the Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand the Father is in me. So I love this, and it leaped off for me right now. It's so easy to discount these people who are accusing him to say, you know, you don't believe, you're not my sheep, you don't hear my voice. He still wants them to come unto him. Because he says, if you, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand the Father's in me and I am in the Father. In other words, he wants them to believe. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, are gathered on this day that uh, we have laughed and had some fun with trivia, this is not trivia. This is your word, your holy scriptures that challenge us, convict us, and today, Lord, I pray they will call us unto you. Just as the sheep know the shepherd's voice, call out each one of us today and let us know which way you would have us to go, how to follow, what we need to leave behind, and how we too can echo, I believe, in the risen Savior. Bless us in this hour, for I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John gives us not only the where and when in these verses, he says it's at Hanukkah, this winter festival, this uh, festival of uh, dedication. And he says it's happening in Solomon's colonnade, as I said, this connected, if you will, covered breezeway. And for most of us, uh, if you are a school teacher, you probably learn more maybe about Hanukkah as a teacher, because I think usually our children these days are taught on several different holidays. Uh, having served in the military, working with an office right beside a rabbi, I remember the first Hanukkah celebration I ever was invited to, where we got to go to uh, Rabbi Irv Ehrlich's house, and uh, we lit a candle on the menorah. And most of you know something about that. Maybe you've spun the dreidel, you know, the little top thing, and maybe you've had some chocolate uh, gold coins, like foil-covered uh, chocolate coins, and know something about the giving of gifts during that uh, festival of lights. Most of you might remember that it is not really a religious it, celebrated time. It's a, it happened about 200 years prior to Jesus' appearance um, when the uh, king of Syria had uh, basically taken over Jerusalem, and he had desecrated the temple. He'd actually sacrificed a, a pig in the Jewish temple. So if you can imagine, you know, insult upon injury, the sacrifice a pig, and then basically was trying to uh, Hellenize, if you will, the entire uh, region. And up appears a man named Judas Maccabees. And if you've read any church history or uh, Christian, or any history in general of that time, uh, the Maccabean revolt, they basically take the temple over and they, uh, you know, push the uh, king and his men out or the, his followers out and they rededicate and purify the temple. And during that period, they lit candles, they had lamps, and the lamps did not run out of oil. And that's one of the reasons there's this celebration of lights. And I think it's important to know that background because Jesus appears saying, I am the light of the world. 
he's drawing on upon a celebration that's already happening, and they would make a connection with him, I'm sure. He makes no claim, though, to predict anything or to say, I might be the Christ. He says, I am, and I guarantee who I am. And only his sheep can celebrate the Super Bowl that he guarantees us as winners to be called his children, a part of his sheepfold, to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Look at verse 24. The Jews gathered around him, as I said earlier, some commentators would like to say they circled him. And when you say Jews, it's, it's important to know that the, excuse me, that the Jews it's referencing here is not like the whole nation of, of uh, Israel. This, is the, this group is the religious leaders of the day. These are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, those who were the leaders in the temple. The preachers, if you will, of the day. The clergy group of the day. And as they circled him, they said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And that's our first point this morning, that Jesus never fumbles. No one, he will eventually say, can snatch them out of my hand. No one, in fact, can snatch you out of the Father's hand. He connects once again who he is. And as I said earlier, uh, I'm not a football expert. I did play four years in high school. And as I shared with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, a couple weeks ago, however, when that was, uh, I played uh, football on a high school team that did not win a game at the varsity level. It's fresh, my freshman, sophomore, junior. I started playing varsity ball as a junior. We won the last game. Uh, let me back that up. We did win. They had not won since uh, before my eighth grade year. They hadn't won a game. They didn't win a game my freshman year. They didn't win a game my sophomore year. I think we won five games as a junior, and they immediately fired the coach. That's some smart thinking, right? Well, if he can get us to five and four, surely the next guy will get us. And he got us to eight and one my senior year. But playing high school football, I never had the opportunity to fumble the ball because I was not a running back. I was uh, a lineman and then a linebacker, uh, offense and defense, and not because I was so good. It's because the team was that small and our school was that small. And if you could walk and breathe, you were playing both ways. You never came off the field unless you got hurt. And many times you wanted to come off the field. <clears throat> but there were several times that I did try to go after a loose ball. And my dad loved to tell the story that, you know, the men, the fathers, would follow the ball up and down the sideline. I don't know if you can do that. In O'Connor, they don't even like, when I went to the games and watched my daughter play in the band, uh, they didn't even like you standing up near the rail in the bleachers. But in those days, you know, small town, small school, small high school, everything, uh, if you want to get down on the field, you get right down on the field. In fact, my dad chewed me out one time on the field because... They had carried me off. God sprung my ankle multiple times, and he carried me off. Or they carried me off, players did, and he came down because my mom was at the game, and my mom had towed him, and, you know, it rolls downhill, and, and Bob came down and chewed out Cliff for, uh, as he would say, messing off, you know, and he'd say it a different way because only guys who are messing around get hurt playing football, you know, if your head's in the game. And that was probably my best game after he chewed me out, but that's a side story. Yeah, where was I going with that? The one time the ball was way over on the sideline, there was no one around it. And rather than sliding and getting, on, getting down, you know, to grab the ball and stay there as the ever-so-fast lineman and linebacker that I was, 
I tried to bend over to get it when another kid from the other team quickly picked it up and ran for a touchdown. And my dad was like, you run like you're dragging a piano, boy. You run really hard, but your feet moving, but you're not covering any ground. So anyway, Jesus tells the religious leaders of the day that you don't know my voice. You aren't part of my sheepfold. And because of that, you're like one of those loose balls that anybody can scoop up and run away with. And I know you've heard about the Rose Bowl back in 1929. I think I might have played some kind of clip one time of another one where a guy picks up a fumble and actually runs the wrong direction. Could you imagine being that guy, running so excited, I'm going to score, and you realize you've run to the wrong end zone. We do the same thing in our lives. We fumble our faith, we fumble our lives, and we pick up the ball, and we think we're running in the right direction. And all along, your team, your Savior is scree screaming, turn around. That's what repentance is, is the turning in direction and going away from the sin you're in. For these men, these Jewish leaders of the day, they had seen his miracles. They had heard him explain the scripture. They'd seen his compassion for the crowds, yet they wouldn't believe. Some of you may remember Broadway Joe, and if you do, do you know where Broadway Joe went to college? There you go. And he played for the great? Very good. Bear Bryant once said he was the greatest athlete he'd ever coached. Um, but before Bear Bryant was Alabama, he was in Kentucky as a coach. And while coaching there early on, um, it, the story goes that they were playing uh, Tennessee and someone fumbled the ball right in front of Bear Bryant's, you know, players. And as they were scrambling for the ball, whether it was Bear Bryant or someone else, they kicked the bag of balls that they had on the sidelines where there are now eight balls on the field in addition to the one loose ball. And when all was said and done, Tennessee had recovered five and Kentucky had recovered four. So they gave the ball to Tennessee. I just want you to know that Jesus never fumbles. God never fumbles. Placed in his hands, you will always be safe. The world may knock you down, but he will protect because Jesus saves. Next, we see in verse 31 that they want to stone him. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Well, obviously, they're wanting to stone him because he says, I and the Father are one in verse 30. And he uses Scripture to explain himself. Look at Psalm 82. And I, I did not put that in there. I'll try to get to it pretty fast here for you. He uses some of David's writing where God presides, verse 1, God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. But down in verse 6, this is David writing in God's voice. I said, you are gods, a small g and in quotation marks. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all your nations are your inheritance. So he is using Scripture to defend himself. And I think if you pay attention to what we try to do here at church, although many times you think there's no meaning to Cliff's Madness, you, if you were here on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night at Refuel, you saw Dr. J.D. Greer as he's continuing on in the book of Romans to say one of the things that Christians should be doing is staying involved in the Word. 
grounded in the word, memorizing, learning scripture. Because when trials, temptations, when the world wants you to fumble, if you can recall God's holy word, it will help you remain in his hand. Rather than struggling to get out as we often do. With those words that Jesus says, believe in my miracles if you won't believe in what I've said. Think of this last point. Jesus breaks the tackle of sin. And my goodness, I, it's almost 12 o'clock. i got to really hurry because I know some of you, I don't know, you're cooking something for the football game. Although it doesn't start till like 5.30, right? So I could go till 4. No, I won't. I, I promise you I will not. The religious leaders were ready to stone him because he had said, I and the Father are one. And he defends himself and says, hey, man, if you won't believe my words, at least believe in the miracles that I've done. You've seen what I've done. He, he, he's caused the man who was born blind to see. He's caused a man who was lame for 30-some-odd years to walk again. He's brought people back from the dead. He will continue to do more wonderful things like that. He's turned water into wine. These are just some of the miracles that, I've talk, that he's talked about in the Gospel of John up to this point. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes could not hear his voice. They didn't see him as the Son of God, the Messiah. They were listening to a different shepherd. And they wanted to see the vision of the Christ that they had in their own minds. More of a military general or a king. And he sure wasn't that to them. They're at their top of their religious game. They are the ones who know the word. And they couldn't see the Super Bowl guarantee of Jesus. Sort of like this guy. Let me show you this very quickly. Those of you who get Baptist Press may have seen this. This just came out this week. That is Darius Holland on the left at Super Bowl 31. A defensive tackle for the Packers who went on to play. I think he played for the Broncos. He played for like three different teams, I think, before he retired after 10 years of uh, college football. And uh, because, you know, I was a military chaplain, although this is an, he's now Army, he is a Southern Baptist-endorsed Army chaplain. And that's an older picture of him. Uh, there he's a lieutenant. He's now a captain. But before he could get from there to there, he talks about the fact that that Super Bowl, this is like his only second year of playing when, he wins his, when he's on the team that wins the Super Bowl. He said he had purchased tickets for his entire family to come to the game. He got a hotel, you know, for them to stay at. He's going to cover all, you know, he's a, he's a pro football player. I don't know what he was making, but he had enough to take care of his family. And he said before the game, they had a family argument. Who was going to sleep in which room and where they were going to eat? He said, here I am on the biggest day of my life. The confetti is falling, you know, coming on my face. And all I can think is of my family and how unhappy they are. And he would go on and struggle. In, in, if you read this article, I really encourage you to look up Darius Hall. And all you got to do is type in it. Not right now while I'm preaching, okay? I, mean, I know some of you are already you know, watching commercials for the Super Bowl right now. But Darius Holland and just put uh, Baptist Press. And you'll pull up this article probably with, I think the, I use the same pictures. Um, but he, if you know anything of his story... Uh, poverty from New Mexico. He said living in a town that was 50% white, 50% Hispanic. And he said, I was often called all those names you can imagine in that town because there weren't that many African-American people in the town. He said he had a brother and they had three pairs of pants and two shoes to wear between the two of them. Man, what a level of poverty. And he said, here I am. I've got all the money, 
all the wealth, and he's going to play now for the Broncos. And the person who leads him to the Lord is his physical therapist. He said his physical therapist had, you know, some kind of sports trainer. He had this, he said this air about him that life was okay and that he could get through things. And, and he powered through things. He was such an encourager for him. And he said his pastor, this physical therapist's pastor, began to talk to him and witness to him. And that's when he came to know the Lord. He went on to seminary. And now, like I said, he is uh, serving uh, in the United States Army. You might think, well, that's crazy. If I had all that money and all that fame, you know, I, I, I probably could be happy. Well, he said that while he had all that, and I'm reading directly from that article, he said, uh, I had everything. And one day I realized that the pain that was in my life wasn't the result of my childhood. It wasn't a result of losing my dad. It wasn't anybody else in my life. It was my sin. Jesus will help you break the tackle of sin in your life, no matter what it is. He will carry you when you cannot walk. He will show you the way when you cannot see. Listen to the voice of the shepherd and his Super Bowl guarantee. Look at verse 28, and that's what I'll close with. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That is the Super Bowl guarantee. Stand with me, please. We have a time of invitation. Our Father, as we come now to a time in this service, that if there's someone here who's never accepted Jesus as their Savior, they've been walking in darkness, they've been struggling with the tackles that the world brings their way, they feel like everything is out to get them. Lord, let them feel the release and to touch, taste and touch the grace of Jesus Christ. That forgiveness, that weight of the world to be lifted from their shoulders because we serve a Savior who heals, who restores, who forgives, and who loves us. Father, perhaps there's someone who just needs to come to these steps and pray. Whatever decision there is to be made, let the folks that are here today know that the doors of the church are open. And let your Holy Spirit move in our midst. And we'll give you all the praise and glory which you so rightly deserve. For I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.